good afternoon. Welcome to Taking Ship, your guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Ellie Jacobs. Joined this evening, afternoon, morning, who knows what time it is. There's such a thing as the globe and things go around and time has no meaning really whatsoever, especially in dumbest timeline America. I'm joined by Frank Spring this, this afternoon, evening, morning. Uh, Maggie Moore is off doing better things with her time. Uh, but uh, you are on Taking Ship and Dumbest Timeline America. Hello, Frank. Hello, Ellie. Thank you for that deeply surreal introduction. My mind is reeling and it feels right. Uh, <clears throat> we are uh, very, very pleased to welcome back to Taking Ship uh, one of our favorite guests, uh, a, a sports writer, a, a political commenter, a bon vivant raconteur, uh, boulevardier, one of New York's most noted of all of the above. Uh, he's currently an editor at Deadspin, has written for SB Nation, for Vice, uh, for, uh, for a variety of or many, many other outlets. Uh, please welcome back to Taking Ship, David Roth. David, welcome back. Thank you. Hi, thanks for having me. So we're, we brought you back for your expertise on a number of subjects, but particularly uh, we, we, have to, we have to talk about the most pressing No, we don't. Yes, we do. yes that's the, or we could avoid it and not talk about it and we'd all be happier. Uh, but unfortunately, there's nothing to be done. Uh, this is like is talking I mean. about like you don't really want to talk about how your father's like has horrible feet stench, but you have friends over. So like you all avoid talking about it. That's the sense. Like we're talking about foot, foot stench. Yeah, something like that. It is with a heavy heart that we report that another white guy is considering a run for the presidency. <clears throat> and the, the, uh, there have been a number of outlets over the last few days who reported that former New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, is considering a run. Yeah, sorry, current Bill. Is, he is still mayor, is he not? Or did he just give up? Can one of you clarify this, David? You're, David you're Hopeful, hopefully he's just given up. But I don't think that's actually what is what is happening. Bill de Blasio is, is still the mayor of New York City, mm-hmm. but, ostensibly. But he's never here, and he hates it. So it's kind of like I'd say he's like forty-five percent mayor of New York City at this Excellent. moment. Terrific! There we go. The forty-five percent mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, is contemplating a run for presidency. He was supposed to announce it this week. Eh, there's some reports that he might not announce it this week. But but this thing has been rumored for a while, and now it appears to be happening. Uh, as Bill De Blasio, as noted, as Bill De Blasio's, I wouldn't say his biggest fan, but certainly one of the noted experts on him. David Roth, is this a good idea? It's the best idea. Um, and I, my only regret is that he didn't get in sooner and and start to really show America what he can do. Uh, have a, a big sort of like blue chip announcement, and then arrive 35 minutes late for it. Or uh, like have a, a speech that he's giving, and then just sort of like get sidetracked because of a feud with the Daily News. Something mm-hmm. like that, I think, would really let people know uh, that this is a candidate to be reckoned with. But as it is, he's still kind of hemming and hawing and going to like Iowa and eating like a pork cutlet on a stick and waiting for someone to come up and talk to him. He's in like a he's already entered the sort of like depressing stage of running for president, and he hasn't even started yet. That late stage Martin O'Malley phase where yeah. you turn up and, and, and literally no one shows up to your event in the diner. Right. Or you're just like at the diner and you're like, no one knows. Like I might just be getting pancakes. You can't prove it or not. Yeah. And yeah. the, uh, the Blasio is a guy that I have voted for two times and didn't feel really badly about voting for him either time. Uh, but so as another New York City uh, uh, citizen, I have specifically not voted for him at any level. Well, you are a, a Brooklyn person, yeah? I'm Upper West Side of Manhattan. Oh, wow. All right, cool. Yeah, I was going to say, because there's... He um, 
the area of New York that he calls home, I mean, he's not, he's not from here. Um, Bill de Blasio isn't even really his name. Uh, <laughs> and he's but, a fucking Red Sox fan. And he's a Red Sox fan. What kind and of bullshit is that? And he eats pizza with a fork and knife. Yeah, he's amazing. Like, honestly, the fact that he got elected mayor at all is uh, inspiring. This it's is basically a- like all voter, all like voting age people in New York, like we're in a coma. Yeah. Or, I mean, like he was, it was at the time, it was as a pitch goes, he was kind of doing some like extremely washed out John Edwards to America's type stuff. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and it wasn't like... Classics. But I mean, like that's a that's worked for me before. Like I gave money to John Edwards' campaign before I knew about the, um, you know, the sex freakery. At that point, it was only strongly suspected that he was a sex creep. But after my issue with John Edwards was less about like his sex creepishness. It was more that the one time that I met him, when I shook his hand, I was like, "This man has very oddly small hands. I cannot oh. support someone like this." Yeah, I think that that it, it's funny. Like, you don't want to get too into the omens and signs thing, but that is a, a red flag for me. Like, you just should have known. I know yeah. the hair. Everybody made a big deal about the haircut, and he was too handsome and whatever. But yeah, uh, if you told me that he had just like little Vienna sausage fingers, I, I would have known. They're too. not even sausage fingers. It's just like it's jelly beans. Yeah. How small are we talking about here? Like a, like a like, child? I, the first time I noticed it, I was at an event that someone who was potentially working on his campaign invited me to. And uh, this is a substantial political person in, in New York whose name I, I, I won't give away because that would be unfair to him. But I was sitting in the audience and I was kind of half paying attention. I looked on stage and I was like, that man has oddly small feet and hands. That Damn. is something. Yeah. And, and like that just stuck with me and i was like I don't, I don't know what that means i don't know what that like denotes in terms of what his foreign policy might be but i know it means that i am now distracted by the fact that this man has small hands and yeah if they're if they're taking you out of the moment then he needs to be wearing gloves every time it's on. <laughs> you know, it's like the, if fdr had like half the country believing that he could stand surely right. john edwards could just <laughs> Wear batting gloves at all times. Right, like, I mean, 80% of politicians are probably wearing lifts to get them over, like, the 510 threshold. Yeah. Like, come on. I've been wondering about that with the Buddha judge. Like, how short is he, actually? Because every time you see him, there's, like, some aide kind of, like, towering over him. Mayor Pete is not tall. All right. That's fair. Yeah. So you were so you you found Bill de Blasio appealing because he was like John Edwards but had bigger hands. I, yeah, and, and also it was like at the time the idea of I mean whatever it seems weird now uh, this far into you know the the sort of refractory period where he's like not the mayor but he's still the mayor and like you know he's like he's living in your house but he doesn't want you can call him dad if you want but it's not like official or anything like that he uh, <laughs> and your mama long since broken up but he can't you know he's still right. back on yeah. the street yeah i get it call me, call me uncle bill if you want or uncle warren which is my actual name uh the, he buys you beer yeah that's if yeah. he was buying new york beer and he long ago stopped he was just sort of like he switched to duels in like 2017 <laughs> <laughs> so the, when he was running, this is the end of the, the Bloomberg years, and the idea that the city could elect even the sort of like, again, like degraded pro- progressive version of like a John Edwards State candidate was appealing to me because it had been the other the people that were the front runners at the time were all kind of like next in line types. And de Blasio beat them all handily because of the fact that he like said some shit about 
things that were obviously bad in New York, which you're not supposed to talk about in terms of policing, in terms of inequality, and in terms, terms of, of horse-drawn carriages. Right, horse-drawn carriages. You which got he's done shit a, about. Got into kind of a cul-de-sac on that one. That was not <laughs> the finest moment. But he, with a lot of that stuff, like, you know, I bought it for as long as I was willing to buy it. And people, you know, whatever, like Glenn Beck and all these people had this idea that New York was going to, that like because Bill de Blasio had like, owned a copy of the Clash's Sandinista at some point that we were instantly headed for like a Death Wish, I think, what is it, three? The one with the giggler in it. Yeah. Like that was the one that we were going to wind up with. And like the Warriors, Kurt except yeah, yes. Escape from New York is Kurt Russell? Yes, Escape from New York is, is Kurt Russell. Um, it, so uh, yes, I, I don't know that this is exactly where we were headed with it. Um, I think that people more had this idea that it was going to get really uh, crime infested. Not that it was going to be very stylish and have a cool synth- uh, synthesizer score. That was the big difference. Yeah, that's 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 something you could run on, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, right. We're going to do. We're going to bring John Carpenter back. We're going to do it better than ever. Uh, it didn't really work. But De Blasio did get some stuff right. Some of the things he said he was going to do. Uh, well, as the and, as the father of a toddler, like the pre K thing is that that's legit. It is legit. It is a huge success. I mean, this is a very difficult city to govern. It's something like 95% of the kids that are eligible are in it. Like it's, and free school lunch, free school breakfast, like that's real shit. And that stuff is like a hundred percent legit. Basically everything else he's done is ass. Right. That's exactly it. And just, just him being a representative of the city is ass. Yeah. Because he's not, he doesn't have any attention to detail. He doesn't have any, it seems like real interest in doing the job anymore. He, uh, he did have some sort of feints in the direction of trying to hold police more responsible uh, early in his term. He was extremely scared uh, by the pushback that he got from them. And at this point, basically nobody is in control of the police department in New York, which is tight, uh, obviously. And, and de Blasio's whole idea that he was eventually going to close Rikers, which is again, like a big idea that would be, I think a very good thing to do. At this point, it's just been timelined out so that, like, if it happens in like 2035, it's going to be as much attributable to climate change as to anything that Bill de Blasio did. <laughs> and we're going to close Gitmo also. So, right. I was going to say by, by close, by which I mean it's going to be like it'll be a sandbar and it won't be feasible to keep 10,000 people warehoused there anymore. But yeah, it's all, it, there's something kind of like disappointing about it. And, mm-hmm. and not just, you know, about the fact that there was some promise there, because I think there was. I don't think he, had the temperament or the talent to do the job better. But it is ridiculous that like there are two mayors in the presidential race and the guy that's the mayor of New York is a joke. And the homunculus that's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, it's people are like, I just got some really good qualities and a great head of hair. Like that, that should be us. Like we have two baseball teams. South Bend is like a short season team. That's like a Midwest league thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. So when, so we've sort of got a sense, how long have, have things gone, how long has it been bad with Bill de Blasio in New York, right? Because it's so bad that I, that I, you know, at least nominally someone who's supposed to be a politics knower forgot that he was actually mayor of the city. And, uh, yeah. As, 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 as many residents might, right? How long have things been, been kind of on this, like, this is just a bad relationship that we're all just reading the end. I mean, as, as an angry yeah. citizen, I would say once he got pre-K, which was maybe 200 days in after that, it was just 
why are you're still a thing that I need to pay attention to? Yeah. It was clear that at some point, like it wasn't even just drift. I mean, it was just, it quickly before, certainly before his second term, before he was reelected, there were all these stories about him. Just I legitimately forgot that he was reelected. Yeah. Just was, now until you brought it up, I was like convinced we were still yeah. in the first term. There was a way out of this. It happened again. I mean, like he got again, like one comparatively handily, I think in part because like the people that they were running against him were even more obviously not cut out for the job than him. But yeah, it like, so that's, you know, figured whatever a year or two into his term, he's gotten some stuff done. It's clear that the city is not descending into chaos. And it's in fact continuing to get worse in all the ways that he said it was bad in terms of it being a very difficult place to find housing and sort of cruelly expensive and all that. And at some point it just was like, he was checked out. Like he didn't really seem like he was doing much anymore that there were, he had this sort of, he has maintained a sort of a long standing feud with the governor of the state Mm -hmm. and he's pursued that with a a decent amount of vigor or at least with like, um, I don't know, like uh, (laughs) that sort of passive aggressiveness that suggests that the guy is enjoying himself while he's doing it. But there's no sense that, I mean, no major policies have come to pass. And certainly was basically like being the one guy who was like, you know what? The Hoover dam is a bad idea. Let's not do that. Yeah. Stand out here every day with a sign saying, let's not do the Hoover dam. Yeah. I mean, well, certainly with Cuomo, it's like, you can't win. And he... No, you're lucky to come out with like both kidneys. Right. And that's, I mean, again, also you can't win because of the fact that Cuomo is like, this is the only thing on his mind is Mm -hmm. like winning every feud that he's got. Especially against Bill de Blasio. Especially against Bill de Blasio, yeah. Well, Cuomo now get into the presidential race. Oh. Just to do better than Bill de Blasio. Oh, as a big fuck you? Yeah. I think it would be great. Get them both out of the state. Uh, just see what happens, you know, get them both in Iowa. The thing with, with de Blasio, he's famously an awkward retail politician. Cuomo is infinitely worse. Like if the two of those guys had like a, like a baby touching contest, (laughs) or just like, like a folksiness contest, like them both going to diners. It would be touching. Sounds like, yeah, yeah. Take that out. Little Miranda. (laughs) (laughs) But it would be like a Dominique Wilkins, Michael Jordan slam dunk contest. Like the two of those guys, like going back and forth, see who could be more awkward in a social setting and more like obviously off putting to be around. They're two of the greats. Just casually Uh, abrasive at a a professional level. You can't, you you can't teach it. Yep. (laughs) That's the can't teach size, which (laughs) of course de Blasio does have. But yeah, the, the thing that's kind of like saddest about this to me is that like it, you know, this is still like being the mayor of New York is, is an important job, at least to the people in New York of whom there are millions. Mm -hmm. The idea that you could just sort of stop showing up uh, because you don't want to do it anymore. Like as somebody who's been depressed and who has also had jobs (laughs) that I didn't want to have, like Mm -hmm. I've been there. uh, The idea that you're, that you stop doing it, in those ways and then decide that like actually the thing that might get you back <laughs> in the game and make you more interested would be a more powerful job yeah. that you can't stop showing up for is uh, there's really a lot of levels to that. Well, I mean, that's the question. That's the question. Is he running for president just as a way to getting to show like getting out of showing up for his day job? Does it not feel like that to you? Honestly? Yeah. It feels like that to me. I would love for there to be another 
reason for it. I don't know how he can, I mean, he'll like the New York Post and Daily News is going to cover me anyway, but I may as well be in Iowa. Right. But they'll be like, they'll be making fun of me for like, whatever, accidentally like winding up in a dunk tank at a state fair. (laughs) As, a, as opposed so to like, the funnel cake, yeah. yeah. As opposed to like not back in the blue enough or whatever, and I guess it's like I think at this point he's like so uh, these feuds with the tabloids, all these like stupid fucking like police Twitter accounts that are constantly being like, when is Mayor Bill going to remember that Blue Lives Matter? Like all these like whatever the Sergeants Benevolence Association and stuff like that. I think that he would move to fucking Calgary if he could to get away from that. But the idea that, like, you could also just play out this ring and then move. Like, he's got money. Like, he's got, I mean, I know he likes living in Park Slope and, you know, he could always go back and do that. But, like, there's nothing that says you have to stay in politics. You know, there's something, it's not quite, you know, tragic or even really sad. It's more kind of like just a very dark type of, of contemporary comedy that this guy is just still on this personal journey of failure. It's the epitome of narcissism. It really is. I mean, there's something about the idea, not just that. Like, you know, no one I wants to listen to me. I must go find other people who will listen to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's nothing exactly like in, if the idea that like you take, you win a, an election and then you win re-election and rapidly in there, you lose interest in the job. Like, I know that maybe like the presidency would be more gripping, but like, what if that happened again? Like that would be a real dick move. Like, can you imagine uh, living in a country where the president just hangs out and watches TV all day and uh, doesn't like showing up for work? Can you imagine how terrible that would be to live in America like that? Yeah, I know. Would would de Blasio still commute to Brooklyn to go to the gym every day from the White House? So I played basketball in that gym. Uh, I used to live about a mile away. And it was the nearest indoor court. And it was a fine basketball court. It had some dead spots, but it was, you know, uh, it wasn't one of those ones where, like, every time you took a layup, you'd go slamming into a wall or a mat. Like, it was decently proportioned. For, for uh, those non-New York listeners, that's a big goddamn deal. It is, right. So, a top To be five, able to be on a basketball court and, like, extend your arms in both directions, like, is, is saying something. So, it's a top 5% indoor court for the city of New York. But also uh, the gym area, which is uh, directly adjacent to it, is not great. Like it was just kind of like high school gym, like some free weights and then like a, like a Bowflex or whatever. What was the, is that the Chuck Norris one? What was the Chuck Norris one with like the cables and you could supposedly do a million different exercises on it? Let's say wow. Bowflex because- Sounds like Bowflex. Sounds like Bowflex. Yeah. yeah. So like but a, either way, de Blasio is showing up in cargo shorts. Showing up in cargo shorts. Every day. And via SUV from where the neighborhood where I now live, uh, which is a borough and like six miles away. Uh, and actually more than that, probably like eight or 10 miles. And there's uh, charitably 425 gyms yeah. between Gracie yeah. Mansion and where he's going. There's even better indoor basketball courts. Uh, you could do it. Go to um, Asphalt Greens right there. I mean, that's, I don't have an indoor court, but I mean like everything that you would want uh, at the Park Slope gym is there uh, without the years of disrepair and grime. But he goes back because it keeps him rooted, but he goes back in a car because he, and this is another uh, nice New York twist, Bill de Blasio, beyond being a uh, Red Sox fan living under an assumed name, 
who's the mayor of New York, also hates taking the train, never does it. Uh, and it's not the, which is a really bizarre thing because there's like virtually no New Yorkers live like that. What is the possibility, the probability, dare I say, that the mayorship of Bill de Blasio is the result of someone losing a bet? Certainly, if you were to outline the can, if you were just like, all right, so here's the thing with this guy. Uh, he's running under a name that is not strictly speaking his own. Uh, Which did, anyone might do for in all sorts of completely. Yeah, legal. right. Like he, he's, he's not a like, Yankees or Mets fan. Not he a doesn't know how to eat pizza. He's married to a lesbian. And has like, spent some time in Nicaragua for political. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah. Also, he, he, he likes the Red Sox and he doesn't know how to use a Metro card. Beyond that, though. Uh, mm -hmm. like it doesn't, it, I mean, it makes it, it, it's the one part of it that almost makes sense in terms of him believing that he's got a shot at this because it's like, after you've won the mayoralty of New York city as a, a Red Sox fan under an alias, like how, uh, could someone tell you that it's impossible for you to win another office? Right. Like you've duped a city of 8 million people who are, you know, ostensibly the most like knowing focused and like knowledgeable group of voters out there. So why not be able to dupe the rest of the country? Yeah. You think you couldn't do that in Nebraska showing up and being like, I'm Dr. Tom Osborne. They would, they don't know. It's, but yeah, I have no idea what he had in mind with any of this. I feel like there's still, there's some like greasy political element to him running that also like, I don't understand the machinations of, how campaigns actually happen well enough to know what this would add in terms of value. But I feel like he's going to raise some money from the people that have always given him money, which are real estate developers in New York. And then that money will be redistributed to political consultants, uh, you know, as sorts of favors or whatever. But I mean, he's not going to fucking win anything. Like he's not going to be around for very long. I mean, I honestly, like, I want to sit him down and be like, have you ever watched yourself talk? <laughs> to a crowd like have you ever experienced that as like a member of the audience of just how i mean years ago uh i, I guess this was maybe a year into his mayoralty maybe two years he did his state of the city speech from uh the hall at cooper union which is an infamed hall because abraham lincoln spoke there and and it's i mean they roll out abraham lincoln's podium like it's a big deal and like you speak there and then you go across the street to McSorley's and you have a pint because that's, that's what you do. Yeah. And Blasio was there. Yeah. Sorry, Frank, what was that? Two small half pints, but okay. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, awesome. Right. <laughs> two and two. Like, that's what you do. Two and two, obviously. But de Blasio gave his speech there. And as someone who was sort of sitting in the audience slash working for Cooper Union at the time, it was just like what do you dude dude <laughs> it's already in charge by that point too dude like you're the mayor like what what do we think this isn't a good venue for anything so what was it that struck you about how he was whack uh like was it just a, a lack of charisma or a lack of focus to me it's the the focus that always gets to me but it's not even that he seems insincere or calculated it seems like he keeps forgetting what he's talking about that's part of it. I mean, I feel like that there is a very interesting dissertation to be written about the operative turned elected official. 
just based on like Rahm Emanuel, Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, mm-hmm. like forget everybody else. But I think like those three people, like this concept of like, you're an operative, you get other people to vote for your guy, but now suddenly you're the guy. Like, what does that, what does that actually entail? And what does that mean? And once you've achieved that, what do you do with that? Yeah. So I think that's interesting. Like Rom and, and Andrew Cuomo to their credit have done something with it. Whereas de Blasio sort of like reached the top of the mountain and was like, oh, wow, the view from here is awesome. I think he did the two things that he most wanted to do, or at least that, which were, again, were not easy things to do. It's not like, you know, whatever, universal pre-K, like you have to tax people to get that. You know, it's not the same thing as like actual police reform, which would involve, you know, taking on many decades of entrenched and extremely stubborn, right. You know, but he did- Ray Kelly as mayor might. Right, but that's what- He's not going down that, he's not going down that road anyway. And I think that's what it would take, though, is yeah. that they would, they're not, certainly not going to listen to fucking Warren Wilhelm from Massachusetts or whatever. And <laughs> Right, that is his name. It's also like, it's not a good name. It's not like, oh, my name's actually like Joe Gabe Smith. No, it's like a, it's a Charles Portis character's name. Like Warren <laughs> Wilhelm is a man that like, yeah. Like a, it's like, a, oh, I know that name because I read Dickens as a kid. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> but he, like, I think that operative thing, the thing that they're selling you know, which in the case of Emmanuel and, and Cuomo is this combination of competence and then like actual overt unpleasantness, which I think is, you know, then considered to be like a value add. The idea that being like this guy, like he wants to build new housing so much that he'll fucking cut your throat. Right. Like, you might do it anyway, but like you might as well let him build the housing. Right. Ozio like, doesn't have that like red and tooth and claw thing or whatever. Like he's like an apparat and he figured out how to do the two things and they're, they're big deals. But then after that, it was just like he, like you said, like he just seems like he lost the plot. Like he lost the, the wish to do any of the other stuff. Maybe once it became clear that it was going to be harder or maybe because he never really wanted it that much in the first place. So does he think he has a constituency? Probably not. Okay, uh, so the, I so mean, the, I have to imagine not, right? Like he can read a poll. We know for sure that he could do that. But yeah, like I have no idea how he, could believe that he does. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, he's actually like, he's way underwater, like in the sense of the candidates that anybody knows who they are. It's something like 28% of the people that were polled were like, no, I would not consider him, which is very high for a guy that doesn't do anything. It's historically high, actually. Yeah. It's, it, is, it, it is for a for a regional politician and one without a lot of, well, I mean, I guess it's sort of tautology, but for regional politician, one without a lot of national name recognition, he's remarkably unpopular. It's, in, in respect you do have to respect it, honestly. Again, you know, you can't, you can't teach it. It comes naturally. Yep. <laughs> it is really bizarre, though. I mean, I, I don't know if he'll, if he runs, I don't imagine he'll stay around long. And there's just something about the fact that he's not doing the job here. Uh, I, I, there have been mayors that have been, more unpopular during my lifetime uh, and certainly during the, the couple decades that I lived here. Um, but I don't think there's anybody that has been held in the specific type of disdain that de Blasio has among New York voters now. And I, you know, it's weird. To, it's nice to know that that translates, that that's a universal value. People in Iowa and New Hampshire get it just as well. But Ellie, is that fair to say, do you think? I think so. I mean, I mean, the the multiple articles that have been written have all basically started with the premise of like everyone who has ever worked for him has said this is a bad fucking idea. 
Like, who, then, who's, who's including your... his wife? I mean, like, everybody that you're supposed to, like, you'd be like, I talked to my people. They said I shouldn't do it. I talked to my wife. She didn't want me to do it. All of those people have done their job. And he right. continues to listen to them. Right. Like, I, I know better. That's exactly what, chair. like, he was elected was not idiot, to. And, uh, here we are. No, I was saying, like, it, all those people say that, like, you shouldn't do it. And he's basically like, oh, no, I was elected to make decisions. And I've decided that I'm going to do this, despite the fact that everyone I've ever met in my entire life from pre-K on has said, no, 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 don't. Don't don't run for president, Bill. Like or Wilhelm or whatever you have. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like the thing that unites all of the the candidates that I have uh, problems with is this idea that like beyond like the confidence. Of course, you need to be like delusional to run for president in the first. Oh, place. of course. You know, like, but this inability to sort of hold two thoughts in your head at the same time about like whether what you're doing is right or wrong is like, it, that is the great unifier in all bad candidates that like they're sure uh, to an excessive and unhelpful degree. And then, you know, at that point the door sort of closes and it's just a matter of how many times they voters need to remind them that they're wrong. Right. Uh, so we're, we're going to, we're going to turn to a little bit more uh, of the basketball thing, but when we did our, our torn, our live show tournament back in December, and I had a list of, what, what was it, Frank, 70, 70 potential candidates on the Democratic side? Mm-hmm. De Blasio was not one of them that we decided to push through to the 32 candidates that we actually decided, oh, to, wow. decided to, 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 to like put up to the audience. And that 32 included such all-stars as Tulsi Gabbard and Sherrod Brown and Chris Murphy it's like Eric Swalwell, which oh yeah, Eric Swalwell against all odds, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So De Blasio was in your NIT. Did he win? He wasn't even in the NIT. He was like yeah. D three, like oh, you know how to put the ball in. Oh the, wow, all right. Like was it, was it like losing to Texas A and M at Corpus Christi in the CBI or anything like that? He was just fully. In a scholarship yeah. league. I mean, he was like, it, it's like when you show up to a, like a game of poker and the guys that you're playing with, like they've only ever played Uno. <laughs> they only brought Uno cards. Yeah. yeah. That's like, that's what it was. It was like, he was playing Uno. Everybody else was playing like <laughs> Texas Hold'em. Once again, you got to respect it. You got to respect it. That's, that's the thing. He brings his own unique brand to it because I, I, I concur with you. You are right. He is like a lot of these other highly dubious candidates in that he doesn't seem to be able to process whether this is right or wrong or in anyone's interest except his own. But I will say his, like most of them, like Swalwell's candidacy, I think we can basically explain by like, this is what happens when handsome white dudes are surrounded by people who want to be part of a presidential. It's campaign. all about the yeah. jawline. Right? Yep. Whereas I think de Blasio, like he does, like his whole thing is like, what happens when a dude, when a white guy is surrounded by people who don't want to be part of his presidency? <laughs> yeah. Right. This way he's, he's doing it to spite them. Right. Like, yeah. fuck you. I'm going to run for president. Yeah. yeah. This, this is kind of why I think like there may be legs to this thing, just because spite appears to be the currency of politics in this particular moment. Yeah. He'll take it all the way to the convention just because like <laughs> because fuck the you, alternative why. yeah i was gonna say like the alternative is just like going to going to queens and getting yelled at by somebody like yeah as well see where the uh if we're gonna go to basketball can i tell the, the, story, the story that connects basketball and bill de blasio please all right you're so, gonna do the transition better than we can so I, well i it's all right it's not I, it's not a great story you don't know that it's not a very good story but i will do it um oh, we know it just based right, on yeah. <laughs> okay. past experience so uh 
I uh, live in the same neighborhood as Bill de Blasio now, which is the east part of the Upper East Side, the unfashionable former uh, Hungarian neighborhood known as Yorkville. And the Goodwill near me is a place where I spend a lot of time and uh, have squared this very shirt that I'm wearing now, which your listeners, of course, can see, uh, is one of the many shirts that I've picked up there. Just go to deadspin.com. You'll see Roth in that yeah, shirt. Yeah, I was going to say, there's it's, it's, it's inevitability. It's kind of my brand. I'm, I'm an idiot that dresses poorly, and that's how people recognize me and what distinguishes me from other bloggers. Extremely uh, same. <laughs> yeah, the, so I was at the Goodwill, my neighborhood, and I saw a St. John's jersey that I, as a uh, longtime resident of the area and basketball fan, instantly recognized as a Felipe Lopez jersey. Uh, they didn't make a lot of college basketball replica jerseys. This is super deep cut, and we've now lost like 85% of our audience. But I'm going to go, I'll go quick. 15% Lopez, is happier than they've ever been. <laughs> so those numbers do add up. The uh, Felipe Lopez local product played at St. John's in Queens. Uh, and was an iconic prep player who became an unremarkable pro. The jersey, uh, I knew I was going to buy for my friend Lonnie, who's a St. John's fan, and because it was like $5 because it was a Goodwill. Uh, I went to it immediately, grabbed it, and I noticed after having grabbed it that written in the neck of the jersey in magic marker, as you might um, do if you were sending a child off to summer camp, was the name de Blasio, spelled exactly the same way. Hell yeah. And I was like, so... Not only am I buying a uh, Felipe J- Lopez jersey for the one person on earth who'd be happiest to receive it, which is obviously nice, uh, I was possibly buying the mayor's Felipe Lopez jersey. And I, as, a, as a journalist, I did uh, what I do, which is I added his account on Twitter with a picture of it and said, I think I bought your, Bill de Bla- your uh, Felipe Lopez jersey. Why did you give it away? Or uh, um, do you have any other ones? Or I don't remember what else I said. I received no response. And I think that was the beginning of the end of the affair. Uh, like I, not that that was maybe the moment I knew he'd never be president, but also maybe the moment that I knew that, uh, that he was bullshit. If you can't, if you can't talk to me about the Felipe Lopez Jersey that you possibly had and gave away, then I don't know why you think that people in, in Iowa would be able to connect with you at a different level about say an Adam Haluska Jersey. Sure. Or Greg Bruner. Yeah, how is anyone to trust you at that point? No, the thrill is gone. But So Bill de Blasio, you heard it. Uh, come on the podcast. Account for this jersey. <laughs> yeah. uh, you've, you've been given a chance to confirm or deny it. Uh, make you know, Break your silence. Make your statement. Come on the podcast. And, and when, fight Dave, honestly. I'm, I'm here. I, legitimately, I don't want Bill de Blasio on this podcast. Like, All right, well, then how about Bill de Blasio? We'll play to seven at Asphalt Green. Uh, I haven't played many years, and you've got a height advantage on me. But, I, but let's play one-on-one. Let's do that. I'll take 10 to one on you on that. Thanks. You haven't even seen my ball handling skills. That's fine. I know. Ball, <laughs> I, I've, I've watched Bill de Blasio walk down the street. Like, so he definitely, he's, I know he's like a big ostrichy dude. You don't think he can play a little bit? No. All right. No. I was at, uh, 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 I was at the Al Smith dinner in December in black tie. And he was in white tie because he was up on the thing. I was in the restroom with him. He, no. All right. Do you think Bernie would give him buckets? I feel like Bernie is one of two ways. Bernie is either like that old guy you play with at the gym who somehow just hits 85% outside, like from outside three, or he's the old guy who's just like flopping every five minutes and you have to like help him up. So I'm only going by the tape of Bernie Sanders playing basketball that I've broken down, but his mid range game seems extremely good. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know that he could, has, you know, the, the energy or whatever, but as you said, it doesn't really matter if you're, 
if you can't defend, if de Blasio is going to, going to just overcommit or just like wander off the court because he's right. right. someplace, then he's going to, he's going right. to wander off because he's going to see like, Oh, there's some real estate developer who has money. Right. Right. So yeah. I'm going to go over there now. I'm going to go see if I can <laughs> just Bernie Sanders just nailing 23 foot set shots. Just yeah. After the other one. Famous, uh, Mike Malloy thread of tweets about playing in a men's league with his dad and getting roasted by a 60 something guy that would like <laughs> call, call out the names of old like pre NBA players while he was beating him. Which is like, the <laughs> ultimate uh, basketball tweet for me. The idea of just like matching up with some guy and he's like, Dolph Shays. And then like, <laughs> have to go home. Hooks over you shouting George Marie. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit, man. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not tolerating this. George Mikan. George Mikan is who I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah you know. George Mikan was one of the names that this guy called out while, like, giving a young, physically fit stand-up comic buckets in a wine <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- these, are guy who are, these are guys who were able to play in, like, flat-soled sneakers and didn't have to move because... Yeah. It's a different era. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and invented insoles. Yeah, <laughs> or really jumping as much. Yeah, that was it was frowned upon. Yeah, right. Like a three-inch jump on a flat-soled sneaker, like your feet are going to be fine. Yeah. Like you manage to like rise up eighteen inches. Like you better have like some Nike shit in there, otherwise, like your feet are now broken. Yeah, it's just unsafe to do anything more aggressive. Like, do we need to life? look further than Bill Walton on any of this. Like, There's not that much of that in uh, today's NBA, but we were talking before we came on about yeah. uh, Nikola Jokic of the Nuggets. Oh, hell yeah. Seth Rosenthal, uh, the, the great Knicks blogger, uh, once th- described as looking like he was playing in flip-flops, which I think is the most accurate bit of uh, scouting that I've ever read on Twitter, which again is not saying super duper much. No, it's but legit maybe yeah. like in the top five tweets I've ever read. Once you watch Jokic play, it really is very clear that he plays. My go-to is always that he looks like he's wearing snowshoes, which I think is also kind of true. But the flip-flop thing is weird because he constantly looks like he's falling down, as you do if you're trying to play basketball in flip-flops. And yet... Dude, fuck if you're trying to walk in flip-flops. But he's got more assists than anybody in the NBA playoffs as we record this, and he's seven feet tall. He's (laughs) been scoring 30 points every game and keeping his team in that series. Like, there's a... He's doing stuff that I've authentically never seen people do, not just in terms of the, the numbers that he's accumulating, but in the fact that he always looks like he's doing it while getting shoved from behind. What you said is exactly what fascinated me. Like, I really haven't watched the NBA consistently since the second time Jordan retired. Mm-hmm. And the game has morphed so much over the last 15 years that a guy wearing flip-flops just being able to like nail threes or like get an assist on every, on every trip down the court. Like it, it's a whole new thing. Like forget like the, the warriors, like the warriors are their own like brand of like, you know, you make chocolate, but you're up against Hershey's like, yeah, well they changed like, it. They opened the game up in a specific way, but then all the stuff that's rushed in to fill that space is as you pointed out, totally fucking weird and unprecedented and kind of like, I mean, Jokic doing what he does is incredible. The fact that Brooke Lopez, who I watched when he was mm-hmm. a disappointing Nets center who never rebounded and was seven feet tall, has reinvented himself as this, like a dead eye three point shooter. Like really one of the most important players on the best team in the Eastern conference 
and it still doesn't rebound, still doesn't block shots, but like now hits like deep ass, like Steph Curry, Damian Lillard threes. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that happened or why, but it is fascinating to watch. And it's one of these things where you look at these guys, like Jokic occurs to me, but Lopez is a really good example of this as well. People that the first time you see them do your thing, you think, wow, that was really lucky they got that one off. Yeah. And then the second time, like, I can't believe they pulled that off. And they're like, wait, this is how they play. Like, this isn't some horrible mistake. Like, this is the way they were trying to do it, and they're really good at it. It's, yeah. Like, you remember when Minute Bold just became a three-point shooter? He actually shot the ball pretty well. Yeah. As for, I mean, certainly for a guy that was seven foot seven, he shot the ball very well. Right. Seven but foot also, seven who had like, you know, the body fat of zero because I know. he weighed God. like a buck 50. Yeah. It just looked like the aliens from Annihilation, like mirroring his own self. <laughs> <laughs> but he, oh, Jesus. yeah, but like, you know, was also a, a legend as a college, as a scorer in college. I mean, he could do other stuff. It was just the NBA in the eighties and nineties wasn't open-minded enough to let people play that way even I think in terms of like the well again like you said like what the Warriors did is is sui generis because Steph Curry's not like anybody that's ever played before and because you know they just had all this room to sort of stretch out in the way that the players that they have have fit within that is is remarkable but the idea that there were all these these people playing you know back when back when ball players were for shit in the nineties when we were watching it, that could conceivably have had very different careers uh, if they'd been used in ways that they would be used now. It's kind of like, you know, it's one of the, the thought exercises I go to when like the Rockets are playing and I don't want to watch and I just let my mind wander to other things. Supposed to right. watch. Like, can you imagine like a player like Akeem Olajuwon playing in today's NBA? I mean, I like, think for, that, forget Michael Jordan, like Michael Jordan will be fine. Like Michael Jordan, he'll, he'll still average 30 points. He'll be fine. Yeah. But like the Akeem Olajuwans are, I don't want to say David Robinson because David Robinson had a distinctly different game than Olajuwon, but Olajuwon is like the perfect example of like, this is a dude who sits in the post. He's going to get the ball from the guy on the yeah. wing and he's going to score 25 points a night. Yeah, but that was just how they used him. He could shoot. He he had a really good jumper for me. See, that's the thing that I think is is interesting about it is that, that like, what if they used him the way that the Sixers use Joel Embiid now or something like that, where, like, he gets a lot of touches there, but then also he's doing all pick and roll motion stuff. He's out, like, it's a threat that he could take a three and he'll maybe take two or three a game. That, like, the idea of, like, all the the galoots of that era trying to deflect like poor fucking Blair Rasmussen out beyond the three point line <laughs> <laughs> getting just wrecked off the dribble by Akeem Olajuwon. Like that's the, the part of it that's most interesting to me. Cause like, I, you know, as I think there were people that played in that era that were like, that were stars in a way that they couldn't be stars now. But I don't know that it's, you know, the case that like Patrick Ewing wouldn't be an effective NBA player now. It's just that like the way that he was used is not, Strictly speaking, the way that any NBA big man is used. I, I look at somebody like Carl uh, Malone. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. He's the third most scoring player in NBA history or, mm-hmm. or something like that. And, you know, no one ever paid attention because he was in Salt Lake City and no one gave a rat's ass. And he and Stockton ran the same play the same way for upwards of 15, of a decade yeah, and a half. Almost two decades. And Carl Malone, from 10 feet and in, he was money. Like, yeah. you get the ball to Carl Malone, 10 feet and in, you're getting two points. Like, maybe three if there was a foul. Like, that's, that's just what's happening. And it seems like in today's NBA that, that that concept isn't even there. 
It's weird though. I mean, there are guys that are like really good at finishing in, in pick and roll situations, but they're guys that usually it's like, if that's their designated job, if you're like a dunker, like a Clint Capella type, then that's, there's two things that you do. Like you go in what they call the dunker spot and they run an action for you on an alley-oop, which is, it's a thing now. It's like to the side of the basket, but basically along the baseline. It's right. Hell. Or you just run pick and rolls and that's that. The idea that like, Malone I mean, at the time was like so much stronger and more athletic than anybody oh, sure. matching up with, but he's also, and this is something that I, I often use to keep LeBron in perspective to the extent it's possible. Carl Malone is basically the same height and weight as LeBron James. And LeBron that just blew my mind. And LeBron James. Wait, wait, I need a, I need a second. Yeah, I need right? a second. I need oh, a second. Yeah. So that, because LeBron James has like 18 more tools than Carl, than Carl Malone did. He's like the primary playmaker on every team that he's on. And like Malone was, you know, was a good passer, but he didn't need to pass. That wasn't part of what his job was. His job was to dunk and make layups or make, you know, elbow jumpers stick right. into that. The twice a year he went up against Charles Barkley was an actual game. Otherwise, he was scoring 35 points. Right, because he was just like sort of like mushing some guy that was like, you know, underqualified physically and talent-wise to do it. That's sort of the, the fun part about, you know, I think there's this sort of sense, not just in the way that, that people push back against the, the way that Rockets play, but I mean, even... I think people are kind of sick of the Warriors. I'm kind of sick of the Warriors. Sure. This, like ultra efficient version of basketball that we have now, where it's basically threes and dunks. And that like, so you have ISO plays where a guy like James Harden dribbles the ball for 15 seconds and takes a fadeaway three. And he makes enough of them that it's worth it. I don't remember when like the NBA turned into a game of everybody's hitting 65% of their shots. And well, that is remarkable. I mean, like, but then also the idea that like so many of these shots are coming from three point land is like, right. that is extremely new. And like, not just from like three point land, like Curry oh, yeah, and from other logo. guys are shooting like from 10 feet behind the arc. I'm just like, right. oh, I'm going to put this ball in the air and it's going to go in. Yeah. That was, there was a, uh, after Damian Lillard hit the game winner that knocked the thunder out of the first round of the playoffs for the Blazers. He was very well defended by Paul George, who's a brilliant defender on that play. And after the game, George was like, you know, from my perspective, that's a bad shot, no matter what, because Lillard really was basically standing, you know, he was closer to the, the midcourt line than he was to the three point line. Like it was <laughs> as far away as I've seen a guy take a shot on purpose, including Steph Curry. And George is like, you know, in some ways he's right. Like I wouldn't, if I were playing in a basketball game, I would not. Of course not. On a pump fake that someone took from 35 feet away. And yet like, it's a good shot when Damian Lillard takes it. Like all, like at the very least, like he's got an extremely solid track record of making shots from there. But like that change in the game is like, as cool as it is, you know, like you get some amazing moments like that. But I feel like that, quantifying it in the way that that is quantified things, there's all this extra stuff that players used to do, all these different ways of scoring that have fallen out of fashion. And the game is like, so in some ways it's, it's opened up and stretched out. And then I think in other ways it's diminished. That there's I, I feel like the, the, the night Jordan against the Trailblazers, when he hit the six, seven threes, whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. the big shrug to the camera, yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan and just... It was a big Michael Jordan moment. (laughs) So much better at everything that anybody else can be. Like, 
the fact that he was doing that and like Jordan wasn't known as a three point shooter and they were like, and the bulls were the, you know, the triangle offense. And like, you're not supposed to take threes. That, yeah. that, that's like the fifth option on the way the option, the, the way the offense works. And he did that. And it was like such a big goddamn deal. Whereas now it's like Steph Curry's like taking two steps about half past half court and putting up a three without like his whole offense actually crossing the half court line. Yeah. But that's like a play. Like everybody's right. fine with it. Yeah. That is, it's weird to think about that. That's I think the thing with Jordan that is maybe the hardest to compute about all of it is that the guy averaged around 30 points a game taking, you know, whatever, 53 pointers a year. Like right. maybe, you know, like, which is extremely difficult to do, of course, but also is just like, you know, the game at that point, like I think, you know, whatever. And I, I never liked him, uh, but yeah, well, I grew up in the Midwest, so like, yeah. But I mean, I grew up as a New Jersey Nets fan, watching him destroy them every year, and like just so being mad you're about all it. about Derek Coleman and Kenny Anderson. I was, I was, uh, and Drazen <laughs> Petrovic, and but even Drazen Petrovic is a guy that I think of as a dude that you know, one of the first great European stars, and a guy that I think of as being like the greatest shooter of his. Oh, year. There's an amazing thirty for thirty about. Yeah, it's really like, good. All, like, amazing, amazing hour of television with the extremely blessed directed by Vlade Divac credit. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. like it is a, a Vlade Divac film. But it is, it's like good. all things Vlade Divac. No, it's, it's not a film. It's a Vlade <laughs> Divac joint. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he touches just turns to gold. Yeah. Yeah, one more quick question. So I, I am. I am fascinated by this idea of these players that we saw in, you know, in the nineties and then during the kind of like the cursed era of, you know, the sort of post Jordan era where like, Iverson, like Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Just like, just this sort of like kind of sour, a little bit stale basketball. Who do you think is the, from the perspective of the way basketball is played now, who is the one that got away, right? Someone that like was probably good, but like, God, we, you wish you could have seen that person playing in the, today's offense. I actually have a, a ready answer for this. Uh, Harold Miner is not about a lot. Answer. Yeah, Harold Miner. Well, I mean, I'm always thinking of Harold Miner, at least. <laughs> uh, so for me, the answer is uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf or Chris mm-hmm. Jackson, as he was before that. Oof. He was, mm-hmm. he was on, this is a, a thing That's that a I've good take. working on as a story for a long time. The... The Denver Nuggets in 1990 hired uh, Paul Westhead away from Loyola Marymount, which was a very pioneering, f- like fast, free-flowing five-out. Uh, also, an amazing offense. 30 for 30. Like, yeah, the the I mean, he he quite literally out. killed a player. Yes, well, he had an alarm. <laughs> don't want to put it all on him. But so the Nuggets hired uh, Westhead to run that system on the fucking normie-ass team that Doug Moe had managed or coached the year before. Didn't give him any sort of roster for it. Hired him in September. And so he had all these like 90s short, short guys, like the aforementioned Blair Rasmussen, Joe Wolf, just like big, chunky whites and Orlando Woolridge and Chris Jackson, as he was known at the time. And it really, really didn't work. They played faster. You mentioned he has has Tourette's. Yes, he does. He has Tourette's. Uh, And was a phenomenal basketball player. He was a, a brilliant college player, college scorer. And then when he got to the NBA, like the way that he scored points in college was Steph Curry shit, pull up threes. And then uh, like sort of that opened up again, like a drives to the basket for him. He just, the NBA wasn't really like interested in players that played like that. He also became an extremely strident, uh, politically uh, very strident and a very observant Muslim later in life. And that also alienated him from, uh, you know, a, 
NBA has a reputation as a progressive sports league. There is no such thing as a progressive right. sports league. But he, uh, Rofe had these moments. He had one game, and I'll send you guys a link to it if you want to put it when you post the post, where he did score 50 points for the Nuggets. And it's 100% the way that a player would score 50 points today. Like three-pointers in transition, all kinds of shit that at the time was pure psychedelia. Like nobody was doing it. Nobody would have been allowed to do it. And it just never actually really happened for him beyond that. But like he played for a long time. He's still playing in the Middle East until just a few years ago. He's in that big three league now and he looks better than anybody in it. He's in better shape and he's still like a very good player. It just was never, the league at the time was not going to be able to accommodate that approach. But I think that it was a very, very contemporary approach. I absolutely love that because it was like, and 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 I, I remember him, and I remember I remember some of the that performance in particular. And I love the fact that like the leadership of his team, like everyone is just sort of like, wow, he's really good at this. Oh well, that was weird. Let's yeah. go back to seeing if we can you know conjure up a contested sixteen foot jumper. Like what the like? Yeah, like that's the part. It's incredible the idea that like this dude who can score from anywhere, and also you know was a terrific ball handler and stuff. And they were like, this guy is perfect for giving a bounce pass to Antonio McDice and then just standing. <laughs> Like, how is that the best use of anybody? And yet, like, whatever, that was, he made his money and stuff, but yeah, I would have seen him get to to do more than that. That's fair. All right. David, thank you for for joining us for this, uh, for this wide-ranging conversation. On, mainly on basketball players yeah. of varying quality, one of whom might or might the not be. Is also, I mean, using basketball terminology, also dunking the fuck out of de Blasio, because... Yeah. Uh, it's, who asked? Who asked for this? Like Frank, what was our thing a couple of weeks ago? It was like Team Why though? Yeah, Team yeah. Why though? Yeah, Team Why though? It is an extremely reasonable question, and I don't think it's one that he's going to be very keen on answering. But yeah, guys, thanks for having me. This was fun. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. All right.